The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. That was a new piece from An Irish Christmas by Keith and Kristen Getty. I love Irish music. I want to share it with you. I pray today God will bless you as you listen to the broadcast. I have much I want to share with you. The scriptures say in Luke the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. I praise the mighty God of heaven. He came down as a baby 
and was born among us. His name is Christ the Lord. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. This wonderful news transformed men and women as they heard it. One of those men was a man by the name of Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He was married. I've been to his, the remains of his house in Israel. I stood there and tears came down my face. For this man, he understood who Jesus was finally. And he was willing to be crucified for Jesus. The holiday that we celebrate as Christmas is not the birth of Jesus. And the way we celebrate it in America is not about the birth of Jesus. It's about commercialism, sentimentalism. There are some good aspects about Christmas. Pagan people have their hearts softened and opened in a way they don't during the normal portion of the year. And so I use Christmas as a time of witness and ministry to non-Christians, especially to Muslims. I will buy Christmas gifts this year as the Lord provides the money to do that. And those Christmas gifts will go primarily to Muslims to call them to Jesus. I recognize that Christmas is a pagan holiday. It's really not about Jesus, but we can make it about Jesus. If we understand that in his great mercy, he is willing to give us birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish or fade, and that we become pilgrims, we begin to take a journey. I want to read from you for you from First Peter, the first chapter. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. The name of this broadcast is based on that famous book by John Bunyan wrote it in the 1600s, Bunyan understood what the glory of Jesus was all about. He also understood the price he had to pay for loving Jesus. He understood because he spent 11 years locked up in a meager prison, suffering from heat and cold, because he preached the gospel of Jesus wherever he could preach it. And even while he was in prison, the account says that people would gather at the window through the bars and he would preach to them where he could not see them, but they could hear the cry of his voice as he preached to them the gospel. The research into America today reveals that Almost half of Americans feel lonely and isolated, unhappy. And the Christmas season only causes that loneliness and unhappiness to be magnified. 
and many of you may be struggling with loneliness at this time of year. Some of you are struggling with loneliness all the time. And there are causes for that loneliness. In part, it's because America has turned away from the faith of Jesus and substituted for a sentimental, empty of repentance faith. It's also because America has given up family. Many of you in families never sit down for a family meal together. I speak with families and they say, no, we just, we just grab and growl. We take our plate and we go to the television and we sit there and eat. That's another reason there's such loneliness. We spend time looking at cell phones and computers and not talking with each other. This morning I had to run some errands. And when I arrived at the store that I had to go to, it was closed until 11. And so I had to find something to do. I went to a nearby coffee shop in Fairfax, Virginia. And I was astonished, but not really. Almost no one was talking. They were sitting at the table, husbands and wives and college students. And one table was talking about money and investing. The other tables were looking at their computers and looking at their cell phones, not talking to each other. Husband and wife sat right across from me. Looks of sadness on their face as they looked at their cell phones. What would have happened if they'd put their cell phones down and just talked to each other? But I find that's very hard for people today to be transparent and honest about what's going on in their lives. They'd rather live vicariously by looking at Facebook and other wicked places. Yes, there is a desperate loneliness in America. We have given up patriotism. We've given up fellowship. We've become more and more isolated in our Me Too generation, seeking only that which would please my heart. Joy is not found in pleasing my heart. Joy is found in loving someone else, particularly Jesus Christ. So if you're lonely today... There is a solution. The solution is to find somebody else to help. And going to Jesus and getting honest with him about your heart and your condition and your sin. Jesus is the only source of joy and peace. And joy joy always comes as a side benefit to something else. It's never the direct object a very successful businessman sat across from me and he said, Pastor Ray, there's no joy in my life. What is the secret of joy? I have been seeking joy and I can't find it. I said to him, no, you can't find joy by searching for it. Joy comes and lights on your shoulder when you are sacrificing your life and time and energy to help someone else. And you are following the Master and Savior, Jesus. 
That's not what he wanted to hear. He wanted to hear a strategy where he could do something to work out his loneliness and find happiness with his wife and family. He was unwilling to accept the only source of joy is found in Jesus Christ. Let me read this passage for you out of First Peter, the first chapter. Someone sent me a text this morning. Mercy. Mercy. That's what I need today, and that's what you need today. We need the mercy of Jesus, and I pray that he will extend his mercy to you as you hear this passage, that you will understand it. First Peter 1, I'll begin with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Don't tell me you're saved yet. You're not saved. You will not be saved until you finish the pilgrimage and cross over the Jordan and are found worthy to enter in. This is a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, according to the scripture. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and have been filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your salvation the salvation of your soul. And then again in the first chapter, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, you live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defeat. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, 
And I, I must stop. My great, the great burden of my heart is that you have not purified your heart before God. That you've not really repented. You've just assumed, oh, I'm saved. I'm good to go. It's all right. I can't tell you how many funerals I've attended through the years. And I knew the person who had died. And I knew their life. I knew how they treasured their money and their stuff and their ego and their pride. I knew how bitter and angry they were. And yet, the preacher who did the service preached him into heaven. I heard somebody say, I don't mind if I die because my wife is already there. Are you so sure? How can you be sure when you and your wife never spent time with Jesus? You never purified your hearts. You never left your sin. Are you so sure your wife is in heaven and that you're ready to go and join her? Are you kidding me? You treat so casually the things of holiness and of God. That's why I say mercy, O oh God. Mercy. Mercy. Have you purified your heart by obeying the truth so that you now have sincere love for your brothers? He says, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. I know people today who would say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. But they're filled with greed. And they'll steal and they'll lie and they'll cheat to get what they want. But, oh, they're converted. They're on their way to heaven, and they'll testify, and they'll tell all them, oh, brother, you need to be converted. Will you accept Jesus? What? They haven't accepted Jesus yet. Not really, because they've never purified their hearts. They still have sin in their heart. All men, the Scripture says, are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word, Peter says, that was preached to you. I'm coming preaching that word to you today. And I'm crying, mercy, O God, for my brothers and my sisters. Mercy, Jesus, mercy for me. Mercy for me. Mercy for my brothers and my sisters. I sat in that coffee shop. It's all I could do to not cry. Maybe I should have just let the tears roll down my face. I just couldn't sit there without crying. Why? Because I saw these people as sheep without a shepherd. Totally caught up in the affairs of the day. Totally caught up in making money and totally caught up in their in their wickedness. I cried out to God for them, and I said, Lord, what's going to happen? He very quietly whispered to me, they will not awaken until judgment comes. 
God is sending judgment on America. In God's mercy, in God's mercy, he is sending judgment. Peter said, in this, you greatly rejoice. That is the message of salvation. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Pardon me. These have come that your faith of greater worth than gold, which which perishes, may be refined by fire. That they may be proven genuine. And may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. He has to bring these judgments. He's bringing that judgment on America. Don't talk to me about prosperity. Don't talk to me about everything's going to be fine. It's not. The economy is crashing and people are even going to starve to death. Do you realize during the Great Depression of 1929... More than 7 million people died of starvation in America. Bread lines at churches. It was a desperate time. And that depression is nothing compared to the one that is coming to America. Don't take my word for it. Just listen to the top economists. Donald Trump is speaking about, oh, the the stock market is up and everything's great. No, it's not. It's going to crash. It's going to crash and burn. And America is going to undergo judgment from God to wake his church up, to call people out of their wickedness. That's why I cry mercy, O God. Mercy, O God. In this book, Pilgrim's Progress, the evangelist says to Pilgrim and to his partner, you're almost out of this wilderness and will very soon see, and very soon see the town you will enter next on your journey. In that town, you will be set upon by enemies who will be determined to kill you and who will succeed. Do you realize that's happening all over the world? Hundreds of thousands of Christians are losing their homes, even, yea, losing their families and their life because they are hated for their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think that's not coming to America? this wicked governor of Virginia. He is advocating killing babies after they're born. He says it's a decision between the mother and the physician whether they should just let this baby die of starvation and lack of nutrient and water. And of course, Cut the baby up in pieces and sell its its organs. That means they'll kill the baby before it actually dies, so their organs are more valuable. Gruesome. This is what happened, and not so bad, in Germany. 
under Goebbels. And yet it's happening in America. And the governor of Virginia advocates this. And his background is a doctor who works with children. And now he's advocating draconian gun laws. He is moving the state of Virginia toward utter rebellion and destruction. Oh, judgment is coming upon this nation. And my heart is broken. And I say, mercy, oh God. Mercy, oh God. Mercy. Bunyan writes, you can be sure that one or both of you may seal his testimony with blood. So be faithful unto death. And the king will give you a crown of life. The one who dies there, although his death will be unnatural and perhaps very painful, will be better off than his companion, not only because he will arrive at the celestial city sooner, but also because he will escape many of the miseries the other will meet on the rest of his journey. So when you come to town and this happens to you, fulfilling what I've related, then remember me and the things I've told you. Conduct yourselves like men. Commit the keeping of your souls to your God as you struggle to do what is right. Remember, he is your faithful creator. My brother, my sister, I want you to struggle to do what is right by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't become discouraged. Don't be downhearted. Rejoice in our Lord. Rejoice in his love and his mercy and his kindness. For we will endure trials. And I saw in my dream that when they left the borders of the wilderness, they immediately saw a town before them. The name of the town is Vanity. And in the town, there is a year-round market called Vanity Fair. It bears its name because the town that hosts the fair is only concerned with things that are unimportant and vain. All that is bought and sold at the fair is likewise vain and worthless. As the ancient saying goes, all that cometh is vanity. What is vanity? It's foolishness. It doesn't have meaning. It's empty. It doesn't have eternal significance. This fair is no new business that's been established. It's from ancient times. Almost 5,000 years ago, there were pilgrims walking to the celestial city, just as Christian and faithful were doing. Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, seeing that the pilgrims' path went through the town of Vanity, conspired together to set up a fair in which all sorts of vain merchandise were sold all year long. The merchants... The merchandise consisted of houses and lands and trades and places and honors and positions and titles and countries and kingdoms, lusts and pleasures, delights of all sorts, such as whores and lewd entertainment, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, 
body, soul, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and what not. Moreover, at the fair, you can always be seeing jugglers and cheats and games. And Today, if he were writing this, he'd be talking about video games. He'd be talking about trafficked children for sexual exploitation, trafficked women. He'd be talking about television, videos, movies, the Redskins. See, all of these things, even wives and husbands and children, are all vanity if they're not found in Jesus Christ. Only that which is planted by the Father will remain when he comes. Everything else will be pulled up and thrown into the fire. That includes marriages and families. Only that which is found in Jesus is not vanity. So you can shop online and have Amazon deliver your prime. You can run up your bill at Macy's. You can shop till you drop. If it's not found in Jesus Christ, it's foolishness, it's vanity, it's useless for eternal life. I hope you hear the seriousness of my message to your heart. I hope you understand what I'm saying to you. I don't mean to offend you, but I do mean to wake you to recognize that America is going into a time of great and grave judgment that will be life-threatening to you and your family. Many will starve to death. The economy is held up by a fiat currency that has no value. And when confidence is lost, it will all collapse like a house of cards. We have all of the government turmoil today, the, the fighting, the bitterness, the anger, the hostility, the calling of names, the cursing. All of this is vanity. Don't be caught up in it. Don't be consumed with it. I hear people say, the leftists want to steal other people's money until it's all gone. And then it's over. We're in a very serious time. We're about to crash and burn. Do you have your calling and election made sure? Oh, don't quickly tell me yes. Don't quickly listen to the comforting sentimental words of the modern American church and think that you're set for eternity. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And holiness only comes by a supernatural work of God as he baptizes us in his Holy Spirit after we have confessed our sins, after we have repented of our sins, after we have determined to walk clean in Jesus and ask him to come in and take over our lives. Now we can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
and Jesus can come and dwell in us. This is not cheap. It will cost you everything. We're called, according to Romans 12, to be living martyrs, laying our lives on the altar of burnt offering, to be consumed by Jesus. Bunyan considers this this place called Vanity Fair. He says there's a British row, there's a French row, there's an Italian row of streets. There's a Spanish, there's a German. I would add today there's an American. There's a Saudi Arabian. And various sorts of vanities are all sold. As in other fairs, there is one particular commodity that's in great demand, and that's the wares of Rome to be promoted and desired. And the current Pope of Rome, of the Catholic Church, is utterly wicked. He is grieving the hearts of many beautiful Catholic people who love Jesus with all of their hearts. But this Pope is making peace with the Buddhists and the Islamists, and he's calling for a one-world church. And there are even Christian pastors who are going along with this, including even now the Salvation Army. The booths would absolutely turn over in their graves if, well, they're not in their graves. They've gone on. For they loved and served Jesus. Catherine Booth especially. I love her sermons. Salvation Army has become an NGO. It's become compromised. There are many wonderful Christian people involved in the Salvation Army. But the leadership of the Salvation Army today is corrupt. And is leading the Salvation Army into destruction. What took the blood, sweat, and tears, the cries, the prayers of the Booth family is today quickly being poured down the drain of secularism and humanism and uniting with the Pope in a one-world religion. He says, now I said the way to the celestial city lies just through this town where this lusty fair is held. Anyone going to the celestial city who will not go through this town must go out of the world. The prince of princes himself, when he was here, went through this town to his own country. It was Belzebub, the chief lord of the fair, who invited him to buy some of their vanities. He even offered to make him lord of the fair, if only he would show him reverence as he went through town. Because the prince was such a person of honor, Belzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a short time, in order, if possible, to allure the blessed one to cheapen himself and buy some of his vanities. 
but the prince had no interest in the merchandise and left the town without spending so much as one penny on anything there. The fair is a great, ancient, and long-standing place. Now these pilgrims, as I said, must pass through Vanity Fair. And so they did. But as they entered into the fair, they created a great commotion, and all the people in the fair turned their attention to the two pilgrims. You know Bunyan is speaking allegorically about Jesus who had to pass through the fair. And they were so angry at him that they crucified him. Don't think this gospel of Jesus is easy. Don't think it's about some sentimental deal where you can get rich where you can be prosperous and everybody will love you. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted for your faith because the way you dress and the way you act and how you spend your time and money will be dramatically different than the way men in this culture spend their time. You will not be found lounging before the television or the theater. You will not be found downtown at one of the clubs. You will not be found gambling at the great casino on the Potomac. If you're involved in all of that, then you are not a Christian. You're a pagan. If you don't plunge into the river of dissipation, you will be scorned in this world. If you don't dress like the women today in tight pants, if you say they are not decent. One couple, if I named them, you would immediately know them. They are international figures. He became a Christian and he had the courage to tell his wife, you must stop dressing the way you're dressing. You must stop exposing your breasts. You must dress appropriate for a Christian. I so much agree. Men, you're not going to be able to wear your tight, short, sexy pants with your funny hairdo, calling attention to yourself. Instead, you're going to have to humble your heart Yes, dress clean, dress neat, but not to show off your body, but to honor your Lord. Some of you have beards, and there's nothing wrong with a beard. But when it's a beard that says, look at me, I'm somebody, there's a problem. When you dress in any manner to say, hey, everybody, I have arrived, I am successful, I am here, you've got a problem. You are merchandising in Vanity Fair. There were several reasons everyone turned and looked at them. First, they were dressed differently from the people trading at the fair. The people of the fair looked at them in astonishment. Some said they were fools. 
Some said they were lunatics. Some said they were just outlandish men. We used to have a custom when I was a boy. All the women who came to church wore hats or put scarves over their heads. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. But I'm saying they were trying to show themselves as one who had respect for Jesus. And I applaud that. And they were trying to show that they had respect for their husbands. And I applaud that. I believe that scripture teaches that the curse of Eden was broken at the cross. And that men and women are created equal. But they have different functions in marriage. And the husband is very much the head of house. Not the dictator of the house. The head of the house. The spiritual leader of the house. There are some old-time things we need to take a look at again and some biblical references on how to walk that we need to carefully examine again. Some of you have adopted the course of being egalitarian. That's simply a fancy word to say genderless equality between men and women without roles. I have a problem with that. (laughs) Some who say they're egalitarian demonstrate by their behavior that they are not in any, any manner egalitarian. But it sounds good. As you can tell, I don't believe in feminism. I believe in servants of Jesus Christ men and women who humble their hearts before God and before each other, who walk loving and serving one another in the name of Jesus and fulfilling the roles in our marriages that God has called us to fulfill. Now, secondly, as strange as the pilgrim's attire appeared to be, their speech was judged even stranger. Why? Because they didn't use the F word, they didn't use the D word, they didn't use the H word, they didn't curse, they didn't use slang, they weren't loud, they weren't shouting and acting stupid. They were warm and friendly and open, but they were not show-offs. They were not there to prove something. They spoke the language of the promised kingdom rather than the language of the world, which was the common language of the fair. So from one end of the fair to the other, they seemed like barbarians to the people in the city. They seemed like country people. Well, I'm proud to be a country person a person of the country of heaven. And the greatest desire of my heart is that God would show us his mercy. I don't deserve his mercy. I've not earned his mercy. Mercy that is earned is not mercy. Mercy is that 
incredible pouring out of Jesus on the cross. And the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the angels of God to lift us up so that we don't strike our foot against a stone. God has shown mercy to you. I know he has. He's shown mercy to every pagan and every Christian. Will you respond to that mercy today by turning from all wickedness? Will you respond to that mercy today by following Jesus? Let me see if I can reach our producer. Mr. Drew, are you there? How much time do we have left in the broadcast? At about five minutes or less. Okay. We've got five minutes left in this broadcast. I'm asking now, would you turn your heart toward Jesus? And would you let me pray for you? Lord, I lift up my hands before your throne. And I plead your mercy for every person listening to this broadcast today. I know that you love them. I know that you laid your life down for them. I know, Jesus, that you are calling them to leave all sin, to be washed in your blood, to be made clean. So, Lord, I'm asking now, in the name of Jesus, would you call every person listening to this broadcast, if there is any such sin in their heart, if the arrows of conviction have pierced them today, Lord, would you call them now to get on their face before you and to begin to specifically repent of every offense they have committed against you or their brothers or sisters, their pastors, their family. Lord, would you cause them to confess before you those specific sins that they've been holding on to. Lord, would you reach out now in your grace and in your mercy with arrows of conviction. Lord, would there be decisions right now for men and women to do whatever they have to do to get right with you and their brothers and sisters Lord, there are some listening who are so hard and so cynical, so angry. There are some who are so hurting, who are so discouraged, who feel hopeless in their hearts. Lord, I'm asking, will you pour out your mercy? Will you pour out your mercy right now for them? Will you bring to confession and repentance? Would you bring to healing of mind, body, and soul? Oh, you are a God of mercy and kindness, and and you heal the sick and you redeem the lost. Lord, while while your probation is still open, before 
each of those listening is finally crystallized, fixed forever as they are, either to go to heaven or to hell. Lord, would you come? And would you extend your mercy to them right now? Lord, I thank you. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Now, would you take time today to cry out to God either for his mercy or his forgiveness? Would you cry out to him? I need his mercy. I need his courage. Do you? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We have just a minute left in the broadcast. I'd love to hear from you. If this broadcast is helpful to you, would you write to me? And would you give the very best you can give as you're prompted by the Holy Spirit? that we could cover the bill for the month of December before the end of the month. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm so glad you were listening today, and I'm so grateful for those of you who give. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Through Jesus Christ, our